Welcome to day 60 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Deuteronomy chapters 21 through 23 and Psalm 25. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapter 21 is still part of the Deuteronomic Code, expanding on the fifth command, you shall not kill. This chapter deals with five seemingly random community issues, but first, they are all good examples of how seriously Israel took the sacredness of life, and then secondly, when we place these codes back in their cultural and historical context, some of their good intentions can be revealed even though they seem quite strange and maybe even violent to us today. Verses 1-9 through nine deal with the removal of guilt from the land when somebody has been killed but no perpetrator has been found or held accountable. The killing of a young cow and the guilt flowing away down the river may seem incredibly strange to us, but I'm not sure the impulse behind it is odd at all. Our culture is full of various ghost stories about the dead haunting the living with unresolved issues. One of my favorite Ted Lasso episodes is when the team gathers around and burns the things most valuable to them to try to lift their sense of a curse that resides in their training room. Memorials in our culture are built to try and acknowledge and pay tribute to events in our history that not only we cannot change, but we can't make them right. So all we can hope to do is to lift some of its weightiness, lament deeply this loss of life, and then do our best not to get caught up in continued cycles of violence or begin to think that life has no value. Verses 10 through 14 has to do with the treatment of foreign wives spared and brought into the community after war. Notice how the next few laws in this chapter limit the power of the patriarchal male in the family and community system. The text does contain an odd ritual in which the woman eliminates her old life to receive the new. However, if this new life does not work out, the man cannot simply dispose of her. She now has the same rights as any other wife in the community. Verses 15 through 17 limit the patriarchal male's ability to violate the prescribed birth order preference and give the inheritance based on his own preferences. One can sense echoes in this law of the Leah and Rachel story. Verses 18 through 21 are often pointed to as an example of the Bible's frequent barbarism. I mean, what kind of people allow their children to be stoned to death for disobedience? However, as several scholars point out, in a culture steeped in codes of honor and shame, this law again takes the authority over life and death of children out of the hands of the male patriarch, Only the community can enact this kind of punishment on rebellious and destructive children. Notice also that the mother must be present as a witness. Scholars are also quick to point out that the Bible contains no account of this code ever being lived out, and we get no account in the Bible of a father ever killing their child for rebellion, which may be the exact point of this law. Verses 22 through 24 prescribe the taking down of the body of an executed prisoner the evening of the same day that they were killed and giving them a proper burial. Part of the point of executions was to shame the one killed and discourage others to do the same kinds of actions by leaving their bodies up so that people might know this is what happens to people who resist authority. Israel will take guilt seriously, but they will not become a community of shame. These last two codes actually show up in the life of Jesus. Like the rebellious child in the next-to-last code, he will be accused of being wild and a drunkard. And after he's crucified, his followers, particularly Joseph of Arimathea, 
will make sure that his body is taken down and buried with dignity. Chapters 22 and 23 give several scattershot codes in succession in which it is difficult to discern clear connections. It may be important to remember when reading some of these chapters that these codes were developed to address exceptional situations, not the norms. I mean, imagine trying to determine what everyday American life looked like by reading our law codes. In reading these laws, there are some that make us scratch our heads, but then we come across others that seem to capture so beautifully what a community that reflects God's love ought to look like. The opening laws of chapter 22 fit that latter category. When you see a neighbor or a neighbor's property in peril, you are not allowed to sit back and do nothing about it. You must help your neighbor whenever possible. Other laws here reflect Israel's concern for having clear boundaries that define their unique life. There are laws that seem like contemporary concerns of wildlife management or even building safety codes. At verse 13, the themes shift from the expansion of the fifth command to the sixth, you shall not commit adultery. In our context, these laws seem very patriarchal, but here too, there's a high level of concern for limiting the ways men can use their cultural power in ways that misuse women. In an ancient world that often let men do whatever they wanted, God's people began to put limitations on the misuse of that power that would be more clearly realized in the ministry of Jesus and how he responded to these kinds of situations. The opening verse of chapter 23 borders on the humorous and the tragic. What's likely at work in these verses is a rejection of the practices done by other nations and cultures as part of their religious rituals, but also a concern for the fulfilling of the Genesis command to be a people who are fruitful and who multiply. Not just in the ministry of Jesus, but also in the inclusion of the Ethiopian eunuch in the early chapters of Acts, we get redefinitions and reinterpretations of these texts. The rules about excluding or including nations may also seem strange. However, we should remember that we too live in a time when people are welcome or not welcomed into citizenship based upon their country of origin. And we should also remember how many aspects of political life immigrants are excluded from until they become full and trusted members of the community. Don't overlook verses 15 and 16. Here's one of those laws that ought to take our breath away. Other ancient cultures often mandated that a runaway slave must be returned, and to not do so is a punishable offense. In fact, those laws existed in our not-too-distant past. But here's a law that made Israel a safe place for them. A people who were once runaway slaves must care for those who are now living in their previous way of insecurity. How godly is that? The last few verses of chapter 23 seem to be sneaking into the next part of the Ten Commandments, Do Not Steal. God's people won't take advantage of those in vulnerable financial situations by charging lots of interest. They will always keep their word, and they won't take advantage of the generosity that others show through laws like gleaning. The psalm for today, Psalm 25, also seems to hope that Israel might be a safe place where not only those on the inside of the community, like David, might receive grace and restoration, but where those on the outside might also be integrated into God's people. Here are verses 12 and 13. Where are the ones who honor the Lord? God will teach them which path to take. They will live a good life, and their descendants will possess the land. The texts for today feel a little bit like a weather report, scattered and cloudy with intermittent rays of light. Read these texts carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. 
and keep an eye out for your neighbor's ox or sheep. They may need help. Our texts for tomorrow are Deuteronomy chapters 24 and 25. I'll talk to you tomorrow.